0: Well, for today, um, I have just a couple passages. Um, One is from uh, Psalm 51, and it's a a familiar verse that maybe we have heard, um, starting with verse, verse 10 here. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. And then uh, in Luke, I wanted to look at a, a little bit more at the, the, the father, but also the, uh, the older son today. And so I'm going to start here with verse 18 in Luke 15. And so the, the younger son, when he goes off, we know the story quite well. And then when he's destitute and starving, he says, I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So the younger son set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate, and now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing And he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. And he replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. And then the older brother or the older son became angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and be with him. This is the the word of God for each and every one of us here today. And um, a little saying I would like um, us to kind of focus on today as before we move into a few words here is, but by the grace of God, there go I. I'm sure we've heard that from time to time. But by the grace of God, there go I. So as we take some time just to pray and to reflect uh, on the passage and on those words, what does that mean to you? But by the grace of God, there go I. Let's take some time just to, to pray and to reflect on that, let us pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, if you, a few of you might say this uh, from time to time. I, I know I've heard a couple of you say it, but by the grace of God, there go I. Um, and I think it's a really important um, saying that has a lot of relevance in, in our walk, our day-to-day walk. And so... Um, Anyone, as far as what that means to you, or when you hear it, when you might say it. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about a, a spirituality of living, and how do we live in a, an abundant life, a life that is full and rich and has has purpose, and what disciplines um, do we cultivate? And discipline, uh just being making room for or space for, for God, for that spirit to move within our lives. What, what disciplines do we cultivate so we can be more like Christ or to have the, the mind of Christ? Uh, Nguyen, he says, we need to spend time in, in solitude uh, each and every day, just being still and quiet and, and listening. And from that solitude, we, we seek out the company of others or, or community. And then we also do, do ministry uh, to one another, helping each other out and lifting each other up. And Jesus followed this pattern over and over. He spent a lot of time just being still and listening uh, to God in those quiet and secluded places. He lived in a, a community with the disciples, with all of its beauty and all of its struggles constantly and then in ministry he healed and served the the poor and the marginalized and and the outcast and so he followed this pattern throughout his life and when we forgive we we let go of our our pain and, and our resentment so that we can live in in the present and, and so we can live in, in community with one another and and rolheiser and i'm A lot of my comments today uh, come from a a priest called Ronald Rollheiser, and he wrote a book called Sacred Fire. If you're looking for a good read, um, it's it's really very, very good. And Rolheiser, to paraphrase him, he just says, if we want to live an abundant life, we also must nurture a forgiving and a mellow heart. That's what he calls it. He calls this as essential, that we have to have or nurture a forgiving and a mellow heart. And he says it's something that is non-negotiable, but we all often, he said, dismiss the need for each of us to have this mellow heart. And a mellow, forgiving heart is one that is calm and smooth and free of harshness. Maybe think about the, the number of times in life that we react with harshness or anger or we rebuke someone severely. And how often do we we do that, and we justify our response or our reaction by saying, "But they deserved it," or "I'm right," and I need to let them know. I need to stand up for what I believe. But Roheiser says having this mellow heart, a a heart that is smooth and without harshness, is essential to following Christ and to having that that good life. And we can see the nature of a uh, a mellow heart in the father, in the story of the prodigal son. When a son who has made a lot of poor decisions, given the father plenty of reasons uh, to be upset with him, When the son returns home, the father runs out to greet him. He hugs and he kisses him and he throws him this lavish party for his lost son who has come home. And instead of judgment, which is what the younger son expects. Instead of receiving judgment or criticism or the harsh words, the father loves his son. And this makes all the difference in the world. And we don't know what happens later on in the days and weeks ahead, you know, with the relationship. But it's very possible that the father, when his younger son knows that he is accepted in love, maybe then he has... A heart-to-heart conversation with his son. But when he does have that conversation, if indeed he does, it will be one mellow heart speaking to another mellow heart. It'll be a very different conversation, I believe, where they can listen and they can hear one another. And then just thinking about the the mellow hearts uh, that we have all experienced in our life and just the impact they have on us. Uh, I can remember having a, a coach in high school, Coach Ard. And sometimes it would get a little intense in our games and in our practices. And the coaches are just yelling and screaming and just <laughs> ripping us up one, up one side and, and down the other side. And then I noticed one time I wrote about this uh, my senior year one time when I was the recipient of that anger for some of our, our coaches. Um, I remember after practice, Coach Ard sought me out. And I was sitting on a bench and I had my head in my hands, just thinking about whether or not I wanted to continue on or not. And I could feel, I felt this arm around my shoulders. And it was Coach Ard. And he just held me there for the longest time and asked if I was all right. And we talked. And just his presence there. That mellow heart offered me words of comfort and compassion and encouraging me to, to go on. Just really made all the, the difference in the world. And I'm really thankful for Coach Ard and just the, the kindness that he showed so many of us. And I didn't know it then, but Coach Ard was the prodigal father, the, the prodigal mother one of them in my life who had that mellow heart didn't have those harsh words or that criticism he was always lifting up and with his generous heart coach R healed and restored many of us just one kind word one hug at a time in this story and so we're all called to have mellow hearts These kind and generous and uplifting hearts. And the story of the prodigal son takes a turn for us when we meet the oldest son. The oldest son seems like a picture of devotion and perfection. He has kept all of the commandments. He has never left his father's house. And he has done all the work that was required of him. He's very reliable and he's responsible. And Rollheiser talks about the great irony here though in the story, the younger son who has returned home is inside his parents' home celebrating this party, celebrating his, his homecoming. And the older brother is standing outside of the house. He's standing outside of the house and he's unable to go in, even though the father is pleading with him to come inside. He refuses to go in there. And why does he do this? Why can't he go inside the house? And we say, why can't he go inside the house of God? And his father is gently encouraging him to come in but he won't. And the reason is, is because he's bitter and he's angry. The older son has done all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And Rollheiser says, we can be faithful. We can be very faithful people and we can still find ourselves outside of God's house outside the realm of God's joy and kindness and peace. We can still find ourselves, even if we're faithful, outside the circle of community and celebration. And following Jesus or imitating Christ is as much about a mellow and a forgiving heart as it is about believing and doing the right things. And this can be hard for us to accept. Following Jesus is as much about having a mellow and forgiving heart as it is about believing and doing the right things. We can sing praises to God, we can pray, we can give to charity, we can go on mission trips, but if we get home and we start throwing rocks at our neighbor's or our disagreeable neighbor's house, we're missing the whole point of the gospel. That's why we need to cultivate a forgiving and mellow heart. If we have faith to move mountains, but do not have love, if we do not have a mellow heart, we have nothing. This is out of 1 Corinthians here. Rollheiser says, whether we go to church or we do not go to church, whether we are conservative or liberal, We tend to rationalize or justify our anger, our bitterness, and even our own violence. Because we're convinced we are right, our cause that we are fighting for is so worthy and so important that we'll even go to the point of violence to implement it or make it become a reality. Our cause, our platform, or our politics, our dogma is so important and so crucial to life we believe, we rationalize destructive and violent behavior. And we dismiss the need to have a mellow heart. And we can think about this in extreme cases where someone's belief, their thoughts about what is really important in life are, are so important. We can see someone who is pro-life a pro-life advocate who bombs an abortion clinic, killing people inside because they believe so strongly in their cause and they're missing a mellow heart. You can see this extremism in, in a suicide bomber who, who is religiously convinced that their cause is so important that they can be martyrs for God and they destroy dozens, even thousands Of lies, because they're convinced that they are completely right and they lack a mellow heart. We can see this in patriots who storm the US Capitol, resulting in the deaths of five people, convinced of the rightness of their cause at all costs, and lacking a mellow and forgiving heart. Richard Rohr says, we all do wrong out of a strong sense of right. We all do wrong out of a strong sense of right. And the older son refuses to go into his father's house. He's convinced he is right. He's perfect. He has never done anything wrong. And he's full of this hate and this resentment and bitterness. And when we witness when we witness the, the violent actions of others, we can see how important it is to have a mellow heart in a forgiving heart. We can see it so clearly. but it's really often much more difficult for us to see our own need, our personal need for a mellow heart. Like the older brother, do we find ourselves justifying our anger, our bitterness, our lack of respect for conservatives or for liberals, and our lack of graciousness? Because like that older son, we have bitter hearts, and we're lacking that softness in our heart, that that graciousness in our heart. A mellow and forgiving heart is just as important as believing and doing the right things. It's non-negotiable. And it's often what people in the church are missing. They say one thing on, on Sunday morning, and then they live an entirely different way. And it's not just to the neighbors we agree with that we are kind to. It's to all of our neighbors. And we need that compassion, the heart of Christ. Jesus told the thief on the cross that he would be with them in paradise. paradise. He forgave Peter, who has uh, denied him. He restored the woman at the well. Again and again, we see Jesus displaying or manifesting this mellow heart. And so, how can we nurture mellow hearts ourselves? How can we learn to forgive? As some of you mentioned, it's just those words, but by the grace of God, there go I. That with humility and mellowness, we realize that we could easily be that person. As human beings, are we basically capable of doing just about anything? Or is it just others? Are we capable of doing just about anything? Is the older brother beyond what his younger brother did? Do the seeds of insurrection lie within us as well if the results were different? Could we have been one of those people as well? If by the grace of God, if not by the grace of God, there go I. But by that same grace... We are saved, and we are restored. Jesus and the prodigal parent have mellow and forgiving hearts, and and I believe it's the true essence of Christ. It's who we truly are and how we are created. And my prayer for all of us today, that we could continually love and forgive ourselves and one another, and we could say that prayer from the psalm, create in us a clean heart, O God, And put a new and right spirit within us. A spirit of forgiveness. A spirit of a mellow heart. Because that spirit is what heals us and reconciles us to ourselves and the world. Amen.